0: I'm Ed Randall, and you're listening to Baseball and Barbecue. This is Greg Luzinski, and you're listening to Baseball BBQ. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast, and you're listening to Jeff and Len on Baseball and
1: Barbecue, one of my favorite podcasts, and I know it's one of yours, too. The only problem is, after I get done listening to it, I'm hungry. Alright guys, take it away. Wait, I like this music. We're going to start? Yes, we're going to start. Alright. Welcome to episode number 53 of Baseball and BBQ. Of course, that is our new favorite baseball song. Baseball always brings us your home.
2: By Dan Dreesen and Shell, help me with the
1: last name. Krakowski? Yes. Good yes. You will hear that song probably more times, well, until it becomes an earworm. Yeah. Exactly. Guaranteed. The baseball song that's guaranteed. The baseball song that's guaranteed to become an earworm. Yes, <laughs> this is episode fifty-three. I am Jeff. No, I am not no, Jeff not. Cohen. I am Len Averman. I'm Jeff Cohen. <laughs> and super excited. You know why? You know why I'm like all over the place is because we just not even five minutes ago ended an interview with one of one of the most. I, I want to say charming and just really nice guys that we've ever spoken to, Kurt Bavacqua. And for those of you who don't know who Kurt Bavacqua is, shame on you! He is a former Major League Baseball player. Fifteen years in the Major Leagues. He was originally, well, first, well, actually, you'll find out in the episode that he was first drafted by the White Sox. Right? Yes, yeah. But did not... Did not sign with them. Then he was uh, drafted by the Mets. The Braves. Right. And you'll find out the reason why, which is fascinating. He just was great. Yeah. Yeah. Great stories. Great stories. And you know what? For everybody else that's listening to this, that has been uh, one of of our guests. You know, we love all our guests. So I'm not saying, I'm not putting him at the top. Okay. (laughs) You know, but. They're all on (laughs) the top. They're all on the top. But he was—he really was just terrific. Yes. Really enjoyed talking to him. So we just—we just concluded that interview. That's going to be featured on this episode of Baseball and Barbecue. And of course, we've got to talk about some barbecue. Yes. So we're going to do that as well. And then I don't know what else we're going to. Well, let me give out some uh, some information. There you go. Okay, let's do that. Please give us a
2: call. Give us a, your thoughts. Tell us what you like. You know what? You can also subscribe and rate us on on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, all that, stuff, all that fun stuff. Yeah. You you know where to find a podcast. You're listening to one. Right. So give us a call at 516-855-8214. You can email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Tweet us. Check out our Twitter tweet, page. Tweet. Is, at, that, is that tweeting us? Yes. At baseballandbbq. We have Instagram. <laughs> yes, we do. Baseball and B be- and barbecue with barbecue's all spelled out. Check out YouTube.
0: Remember right. we went
2: to uh Clancy's? Right. Uh, we Sh- got- went and uh, Not Clancy's a uh, Foley's. Foley's. We we met with Sean Clancy, right. the owner. Yes. And that's uh some videos on on our YouTube page. Yes, it does. And check out our our
1: webpage at www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. Yeah, if you want to find us, you certainly can. We are everywhere. Yes. You know, uh, according to statistics that we've seen, uh, a lot of you listen to us uh, from Apple Podcasts. Yep. I know it's very simple to give us a rating. I'm hoping that you give us a five-star rating. Why wouldn't they? Well, they might give... I don't know. Maybe they might give me five stars, you 4.999 stars, or maybe the other way. I don't know. But no, really, guys, it, it helps... Because Apple Podcasts will see that people are listening. I don't know, maybe we get like a share of stock or something (laughs) in Apple. That will help. That would help. That would help grow the show immensely. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) One share of Apple might uh, might be enough to retire on in one day. But anyway, guys, let's continue on with the show. Let's talk about a little bit of barbecue. All right. First thing we're going to talk about is... Wait, wait, don't, don't
2: tell me, Len. I, I think I know, because I think it's you're getting a work, little worked up. I think you have a
1: barbecue rant coming on. Wow, that was uh, that was real uh, inspiring, Jeff. Okay, <laughs> all right. Yeah, I do, I do. You know, I don't know. Call me old-fashioned. Old-fashioned. Call me call me irresponsible. Irresponsible. Old-fashioned. I know there's a song in here. No, but guys, your barbecue's outside all year. I mean, some people put it in their garage, but I leave it out all year. I, I think most people probably, you know, leave it out all year. I'm not saying your car goes in your garage because, it, like, if, if most of you are like me, the garage somehow is for bicycles, hardware, you know, tools, sleds, whatever, you know, snow blowers, you know, whatever, whatever it is, but probably not a car. The barbecue stays outside, maybe on your patio, on the lawn, on the deck, whatever. So you really need to keep it covered, even if you're in a hot area. You should cover it because rain will not be good for it. You know, I I of course like to cover it because snow, and I understand that eventually the cover is going to wear. I don't know, but the old the when I first got my grill cover, and I used to get a Weber cover, and it had Weber on it. And I don't know if it was a better cover or not, but I bought a Weber cover, and it lasted a long time. And you know what happens? And you know what I'm talking about. If you have a cover, it gets it, when it's cold. The cover gets frozen, and it's almost like when you when you take it off, it's like a shell almost.
2: It's like it, it's hard, it, right? It, yeah,
1: yeah, it crackles, right. And so I know that the covers aren't supposed to last forever and that eventually you're going to need a replacement. But I have to tell you, the last cover that I got is only, I think it's about three years old, and it started to wear like after a year and a half. Now, I love Weber. I lo- anybody listening to this show, if you're from Weber, I love your product. I have a Weber Gas Grill. I have a Weber Smoker. Smoky Mountain. Bullet smoker. Okay, right, the bullet smoker. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Okay. My acumen is getting better and better. Yeah, much. I, I I love the Weber briquettes, okay, for that I use in my smoker. As a matter of fact, when it became harder to find them, I, I may have ranted about that, but I, I looked forever to find them and finally did. And when I did, I made sure I bought numerous bags just in case I had a hard time again. But guys, Weber. Your cover, what is going on? First of all, all right, if if quality isn't as good as it used to be, I don't really accept that because, Weber, quality on your grills is fantastic. But so now I have to buy another one, and I start looking for a cover. $80 for a Weber grill cover? Yeah. 80 bucks for a cover? Now, okay, I understand, you know, you, you, you pay money for something that. That's worth something. It's covering your grill. But if it's only going to last a couple of years, do I want to spend $80 every two to three years for a cover? seems like a lot of money for a cover. Yeah, seems high. Yes. Now, then there are some people that say, wait, hey, Len, guess what? There are generic covers without the Weber name on them. Hey, Len, guess what? There are generic (laughs) covers without the Weber name on them. I knew somebody said that, but I like... It's not so much having the Weber name on it. It's I still think that Weber is a great product and that if it's a Weber cover, it's going to last longer. And yet, I'm, I'm talking to you guys and I'm saying how it only lasted two to three years. So maybe I should get a generic cover. Now, if I'm going to buy a generic cover, I think I can probably get one for like $60 or so. But the thing is, does it fit as well? That's the other thing. The Weber cover fits because it's a Weber grill, so the cover fits. I don't know. I just think that the covers don't need to be $80. How much do you think? You know, I watch Shark Tank. And sometimes... And Jeff, you watch Shark Tank, right? Yeah, Mr. Wonderful. Yeah. And they ask they ask them, well, how much does it cost to make? And the person will give the price. And, then, and how much does it sell for? And they'll give the price. And sometimes they say, It costs, you know, a dollar to make. And how much do you sell it for? $25? It's like, what? That's some margins. Yeah. Is is that, just because it costs that cheap to make, does it have to be sold so expensive? So I don't know, Weber. It just seems like the covers, it, it doesn't seem like they cost that much to make. Now, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. If somebody from Weber wants to come on, then we gladly would have them on. Give us a call. 516-855-8214. But $80
2: for cover, I mean, you got to Whoever it's being sold, I don't know if it's sold at your local uh, yeah, barbecue store. Yeah, the barbecue you know, store. Come, they're making, you know, plenty of money on it. And, you yes. know, they're, they're buying it. And Weber's making plenty of money on it.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, but the last time I... Well, the last time I got one, I think when I bought the grill, I think they... I, I, I think they gave the cover for... I think they threw the cover in.
2: Yeah, I think that's to get the hook because Weber's yeah. are already uh, <laughs> priced at a certain point. They have to sell it right. at a
1: point. Yeah, so I think they threw the cover in. I don't know. Maybe I'm being ridiculous. And, and, and you guys, you know what? If you think I am, if everybody has tons of money and has no issue with spending $80 for cover hour or just thinks that that's the going rate, and I, I just think that there are certain things that, why does it have to be so expensive? I know I Jeff, I know that's not the 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 quality level rant that you give.
2: That's not a baseball rant. I mean that's not a baseball type rant. Yeah. I, I just
1: that's my barbecue rant, okay? Okay. Alright. You know what? Everybody's now probably very depressed. Probably sitting there saying, Okay, enough already. We want Kurt. We want Kurt. Right? Yes. So why don't we do that? Why don't we give them Kurt Bavakwa? Our guest
2: tonight on Baseball and BBQ is a 15-year veteran of, of six Major League teams, most notably the San Diego Padres. Originally drafted by the Mets in the 32nd round of the 66th draft, then by the Braves in the 6th round of the 67th draft, he signed with the Cincinnati Reds during a secondary phase of the 67th draft. Traded to Cleveland in 1971 where he began his Major League der- journey. He has played with a dozen Hall of Famers, including Dave Winfield, Raleigh Fingers, Gaylord Perry, Willie Stargell, and the great Tony Gwynn. Today, he's enjoying retirement in San Diego, California. Welcome to Baseball and BBQ, Kurt Bavakwa. Well,
0: how gay, guys? It's it's a pleasure to be on the show, and there's about... Eight or nine more guys that you didn't name that I played with that are in the Hall of Fame. Oh, wow.
2: I, I know, but it was just too long a list. <laughs> I know there's uh, Rich Gossage, Ozzy Smith, Bert Blylevin, Hank Aaron, uh, Gable Perry. So, yeah, it's,
1: it's quite uh, an impressive you know list. I would
0: have left Bird off the list. I, I forgot about him.
1: <laughs> and actually, you know, there's one we were just talking about. it. You played with Steve Garvey. I don't know how you feel about it, but I kind of feel that Steve Garvey should be in the Hall of Fame.
0: You know, there, I think there's quite a few guys that are in, a, in the gray area, that they call it. Right. That they should just bust them all up there and enshrine them in the Hall of Fame with the people that have gotten in the last few years. Uh,
1: exactly. And that's not, that's an argument for another day, but I agree with you. The yeah. recent, Some of the recent people that have gotten in have kind of made people who haven't gotten in need to get a second look. Agreed. Absolutely. And in particular,
0: I I need to be in the Hall of Fame if Bud Seelig is in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah,
2: you're right. I don't know how Bud made it, that, that's for sure, <laughs> Bud.
1: <laughs> hey, Kurt, why don't we just go to the highlight of your career? I mean, we're going to skip all this baseball junk, go right to the highlight, go to the... 1975. All right, let's go back in the Wayback Machine. 1975, Joe Garagiola, Bazooka Bubblegum Blowing Champion. You defeated catcher Johnny Oates and you won the championship. What what pride you must have felt because on your next year's top baseball card, you're pictured blowing a huge bubble. Take it well, that
0: away. That's uh, Cyberger's idea. And. I, I didn't even pose for that picture. It was taken right off the television.
1: Oh, really? <laughs> but, so what's your so, Kurt? What's your uh, bubble blowing technique? Is there a special um, technique? I know I was never a very good bubble blow, yeah. blower.
0: I have I have no technique anymore. But it, uh, you're using the wrong terminology when you're saying blowing a bubble because you don't blow into the bubble. That causes the back wall to break.
1: Ah, see, so he, yeah, so he, I is, know what he's he, doing. he knows. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm going to let Jeff take it away, but I had to ask you about that. <laughs> so let's get back back to a little baseball,
2: Kurt. Uh, looking back at your career, you played for a plethora of managers, including the Hall of Famer Dick Williams, but the list is somewhat impressive. Al Dark in Cleveland, Trader Jack McKeon in Kansas City, Danny Murtaugh and Chuck Tanner in Pittsburgh, along with San Diego managers Roger Craig and Jerry Coleman. Who did you enjoy playing for the most and who had a great impact on your career?
0: Well, I I enjoyed playing for quite a few of the guys. I mean, uh, the best manager I ever played for, hands down, is Dick Williams. He probably had the biggest impact on my career because I think he recognized what I could do in certain situations and he kept me at his side and I knew when he was going to use me I even knew or had a pretty good idea games that I was going to start. Billy Hunter had an influence on my career in Texas.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He gave me an opportunity to play. It was a year of turmoil in Texas where I think they had four managers that one year when I first joined them uh, in 77. And Billy Hunter gave me uh, quite a few opportunities to play and, and I responded you know, big time, and I think I think seventy seven was probably a year. The entire year was a turning point in in my career going forward with the success that I had. So it was uh, it was a good time. I enjoyed playing for Jack in Kansas City. Jack was going to acquire me when he was the manager of the Oakland A's. Uh, when I got released by the Seattle Mariners I I called Jack first and he said I'll get right back to you I'm going to call Charlie and he called Charlie Finley Jack called me back in five minutes and he said Charlie said you're making too much money (laughs) my contract was for 26-5 that year
2: so I did
0: not I did not go with the Oakland A's and instead uh, Rich Donnelly who was the manager at the AAA level I think the year before or I had seen him in spring training Uh, we had started talking because I played third and he was the third base coach and it was uh, it was we developed a pretty good friendship so I gave him a call he was with the Texas Rangers he got the okay to invite me down to Plant City, Florida Uh, I went to Tucson, and uh, I continued to swing the bat the way I had done uh, in winter ball that year when I was with Mayaguez in Puerto Rico, where we won the Caribbean Series. I was the MVP of the league. I was the MVP in the World Series, and spring tra- the spring training that year with Seattle, I hit 330. Wow. And then I went to uh, I went to Tucson and hit 350, I believe it was, and the Rangers called me up. I hit 330 there, so I had a pretty good year. I'm, I'm going to sit back and put all those numbers together sometime and and see what kind of year that I really had because it was really one calendar year.
2: Well, in, in, so that,
0: uh, according to, to do.
2: according to your uh, baseball reference page in 1977, you hit the 333. Not too shabby.
0: That was with Texas. Right. Yeah, I did. Uh, I had a pretty good year. Yeah. I had a pretty good amount of opportunities to play there when I got called up. And, uh, you know, we had a pretty good ball club. We, uh, you know, had an opportunity to uh, to do something in the American League, and, and we just didn't get the job done. But, I mean, we had Richie Zisk and Al Oliver, and Gaylord was pitching for us. Uh, Toby Harrow was a... Uh, was an infielder with us. Bump Wills played with our ball club. Uh, Bobby Bonds was there. We had a pretty nice ball club, and we had some pretty good pitchers also. Uh, John Matlock was on that club. It was, it was a fun time. It, okay. was, it really was.
1: Kurt, you were drafted... Excuse me. For As Jeff said in the intro, you were drafted by... Well, Jeff and I are big Mets fans, so our beloved Mets... In 1966 you didn't play. I mean you didn't uh, accept Fine. or sign, right? And then then you got another opportunity. The Atlanta Braves drafted you in 1967 and you didn't sign. What eventually of course you did sign like Jeff said with the Cincinnati Reds. But when you first get that first offer when you know they first want you how what made you not sign? And, and then you get another offer and you didn't sign. So how, how does that work?
0: I'll tell you exactly why. And the, the one thing that I'll input into that is that the first time I was ever drafted, I was drafted by the Chicago White Sox.
2: Oh.
0: And that was out of high school. Oh, really? And I didn't sign with them either. You the, can't remember what the actual offer was but with the Chicago White Sox. But I didn't sign with them, uh, and I went to Miami-Dade Junior College, which at that time, and in the history of JUCO baseball, uh, they're one of the best programs in the country. It's a little different now down there because they have three different campuses. But at the time, there was only one campus, and we had some pretty good ballplayers that went there. I I believe the numbers: 31 or 32 players that, Played major league baseball that went there.
2: Wow, that's so pretty good for a small Oh, well, Yes, yeah.
0: Well, pretty good. How yeah. about this? Steve Carlton was on my high school team. Mm. He went out for Miami Dade, and Demi Manieri, who was the uh, the coach at that time, and was coach for thirty some years there, uh, said, "Steve, you know, I don't. We're not going to be able to fit you in our starting rotation." so he went he went and tried out with the Cardinals the next day I was there and he signed for 5,000 (laughs) bucks
1: because he couldn't make the college team that's pretty good
0: make the junior college team (laughs) I talked to uh, I talked to Demi about that about a year and a half ago, when I went up to visit him, uh, visiting him in, in Baton Rouge, because his son is the uh, head baseball coach at LSU, and used to uh, used to run around our dugout when uh, for the two years that I was at junior college. But that's the reason that I didn't sign with the Mets. And the Mets offered me seventy five thousand bucks too.
2: Wow! Yeah. So, yeah, that was back yeah, then. was that was a, a, that was a pretty money.
0: good amount of money. Yeah. At that yeah. And I definitely wasn't going to sign with the Braves because they drafted me in, the free, in, uh, I think, the secondary phase because we had two different drafts back then. Mm. But the reason I didn't sign was because we had lost the national championship that year in the ninth inning to Nassau Community College.
1: Really? That's Wow. <laughs> That's down the block from us. Yeah, we're, we're right near there. That's funny.
0: <laughs> and I wanted to go back to school, go back to Dade, and go back to the national championship game and win it, and we came close again and in the history of Juco Baseball, there's not too many teams that have gone back to back to Grand Junction where the national championship is played and uh, we, we did that year and in 66 and 67, uh, we went back to back and boy, we had some we had some pretty good players who had a pretty, uh, good time, and a couple of guys went on to play professional baseball. Bob Stinson was on our team. Al Crawford was on our team. He uh, he got to the AAA level with the Reds. Him and I both signed uh, with the Reds. But I mean, guys that graduated from Dade or, or went there to play and, and maybe didn't graduate were Mickey Rivers,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Bucky Dent. Steve Carlton, of course, uh, went there for a semester, but he was told what he didn't want to hear and just signed. You know, we we had Mike Piazza went there.
2: Yeah, I, I thought I, uh, I thought Mike Piazza went there.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Some yonder Alonzo went there, uh, and then went on to the University of Miami. You know, there that's one hell of a baseball program. Unfortunately, Demi passed away about a year and a, about a year ago, and that that was the reason I went up. To baton rouge i brought my sons up there because i i just figured we'd kill two birds with one stone i'd get to see demi because i knew that paul had moved him up there uh, because he had dementia
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i wanted to get to see him he, he meant a lot to me and he meant a lot to, to my career so i i was fortunate enough to do that my family and i went down to uh, to Louisiana, we had one heck of a time. My boys played in uh, an LSU showcase, and it was uh, it was so much fun. And I got to visit with Demi and perked him up a little bit. Talked to a couple of guys that were that were on the team after I visited with Demi, and told them that Demi said hi. So it, it turned out to be a great deal.
2: Sound, sounds sounds like a did. a great great program, uh, Miami Dade. Let me ask you this. You spent this short time in Kansas City, and by the way, uh, one of your teammates was a past uh, guest of ours, Mark Littell, and he's quite a character. <laughs> uh but, yeah, but, <laughs> but in a fan post about uh, you, at, it was written in World's Review, and I'm going to quote this, in a nutshell, that was Kirk Bavocca as a player. He hustled every play. He tried to stretch every hit. He enjoyed the victories. He signed a lot of autographs. He looked like he was enjoying every minute of it, and best of all, he let us enjoy it with him. He was a fan's ball player, unquote. Does that accurately describe your style of play?
0: You know, I think it's pretty close. As a matter of fact, uh, I think it's pretty right on. uh, Sometimes it was hard to sign all the autographs that that were available to sign, and walking away from from kids that were waiting for an autograph uh, for me was a very difficult thing. And the reason so was that I grew up in Miami, mm-hmm. and we didn't have a Major League Baseball team. Right. But we had the Baltimore Orioles, and we had the Triple A Miami Marlins. And I'll never forget waiting for an autograph as a kid. Mm-hmm just four blocks from my house outside of Miami stadium and wanting to get autographs from players that walk by me and feeling the joy and the happiness when players would stop and actually take the time to give you an autograph. Well, you know, so it, it was something that just carried with me and, you know, I, I did whatever I could. Uh, when it came to uh, autographs for kids and uh, and even adults at times. So and as far as far as playing the game hard, that's all I ever knew.
1: Well, along those lines, so I, I let one of our listeners, Larry Soyfer, uh who's a very big fan and uh, loves old baseball history, know that you were coming on, and he gave this memory, which is definitely a reflection of of what you're saying, how you were as a player. He says, I think it was him in the 84 World Series when he was with the Padres. Somehow he got on third base and he pulled his hamstring and he told the third base coach not to say anything to the manager as he wanted to stay in the game. He says, you could double check that. That He says, I, it was very cool. I remember hearing that on TV. Is that, that true?
0: That is true. And uh, the reason people were able to hear that uh, was because Ozzie Virgil, the third base coach, uh, that particular game was Mike. And what NBC did was they... Uh, I'm trying to, to, uh, to think of the gentleman's name that used to do... Oh, you know, he did Wide World Sports and...
2: Uh, oh, Keith Jackson?
0: Keith Jackson. Keith Jackson did these things for NBC every year, and it was consensus of the World Series or the Super Bowl that lasted, like, two minutes. That's where this gentleman, and I I thank him for bringing that up, by the way, that's where this guy heard that, because it's in that tape that Uh Keith Jackson did. Unless he had the tape of the entire game, which... I don't know if it was game. I don't know if it was game one or game two, because it was at uh, It was at Qualcomm Stadium, which at the time was Jack Murphy Stadium. But I don't remember whether it was game one or two. And, uh,
2: speaking of 1984, the World Series. Uh, that's when Padres uh, unfortunately lost to Detroit four one. But you had an impressive four twelve with two home runs and four RBIs. That must have been a hell of an experience.
0: And that's going going back and saying what I said earlier where Dick Williams was the best manager I played for. He wasn't the best manager I played for because he let me play in the World Series. Dick Williams was the best manager I played for because he knew what guys to use in certain situations. He knew guys that could rise to the occasion. He knew guys that couldn't. And he had a way about him that brought out the best in a player, and or put a guy in a position where Dick knew that he didn't need to use him anymore because he wasn't going to be of any use.
1: Well, he made the worst thing that you can say to
0: a Texan is that they're timid. And he called Andy Hawkins, who was one of our pitchers, and ended up having one hell of a World Series. Uh-huh. And ended up pitching uh, for quite a few years after that and doing a heck of a job. Through the media, Dick called him a timid Texan.
2: Really? Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. And that's all it took.
1: <laughs>
0: and Hawk, Hawk just took the bull by the horns. And from that point on, he was basically unstoppable in the World Series. And, and Dick, we, we look back at that because Nick could be a jerk. I mean, he, he was tough to live with uh, at times. And, but we look back at it, and we go, you know what? There was a method to this guy's madness with all the stuff that he used to do. And he, he would make you so mad. <laughs> and then you look back on it years later, and you go, you know what, he made me mad for a reason. You knew what he was oh, doing. Look what I did that day. Look what I did the next day.
1: You know spe- he was pretty special. Speaking of Dick Williams, I just happened to see him. <clears throat> excuse me on YouTube, and this is a clip that people will definitely want to watch. It was the Padres, your team, the against the Braves, and a brawl. One of one of the brawls of to end all brawls. That you want to tell us a little bit about that.
0: Well, I know, I know the day you're referring to, and yeah, Dick was a manager, and I'm proud to say that I, I really stirred the pot that day.
1: <laughs> well, you you did one hell of a job, because at the end of that, there was nobody left on the bench. Everybody was ejected and in the clubhouses. That was incredible.
0: That was uh, that was a crazy day. Wow. It was a crazy day, but I'll tell you what, it gives us all something to look back on and shake our heads and go, man, can you even believe we did that? I mean, you know, I've I've talked to Dale Murphy. uh, I've seen Bob Horner. I've talked to Claudel Washington, who stalked me that day. Uh, Every move that I tried to make, he was right there because we were after Pascual Perez at the beginning. Pascual Perez led the game off by hitting Allen Wiggins with the first pitch of the game around the knee area. The night before, Wiggy had gone like three for four, been the catalyst in our game. We're leading the Western Division and the National League by about eight games. Here's Pascual Perez throwing an Allen Wiggins, and he hit him on purpose. There's no doubt in our minds that he hit it, that he, And go into the World Series. So when it happened, I don't think Dick or the coaching staff really thought a whole lot of it because Wiggy kind of shook it off and ran down the first. But all of a sudden I saw Terry Kenny, Kennedy huddling with Whitson, who was our starting pitcher. So I kind of walked down towards that part of the bench that they were they were sitting on. And they were talking about retaliating with knocking down Royster, who was the, their leadoff hitter. So I input something into the conversation. I go, no, don't do that. I go, They're, he's going to be expecting it. The Braves are going to be expecting it. I go, don't even do anything until Pascual Perez comes up. Because by that time, nobody's going to expect anything. And if you look at the tape of Pascual Perez's first at-bat, in that game, he was not expecting anything. And then look at his subsequent at-bats. He's almost running into our dugout before every <laughs> pitch is delivered.
2: Yeah, I saw that, right.
0: So I, when when those guys said, yeah, that's a good idea, kind of got me worked up because I threw something out there that they agreed with. And then I went down. When our team took the field, I wasn't in the starting lineup and when when, uh, when we went out and took the field, I kind of went down and I started talking to uh, Harry Dunlap, who was one of our coaches, and Jack Kroll, and within the earshot of Dick. So Dick was sitting there on the bench, and I'm I'm starting to instigate, and I'm talking about the fact that they're trying to take the pennant away, Pasqual Perez is trying to take the pennant away, and that. You know we're going to retaliate against them. You know none of the coaches or manager thought anything of it that that we were going to throw at Pasqual Perez when he came up. But I kind of kept working on Dick, and and finally he he goes, you know what, Jack, you're the next manager because after Pasqual Perez got got thrown at, it was let's see, was it Harry Windustat? No, it was. Larry McSherry was the umpire, and he uh, gave both teams a warning. And any pitcher that threw at a hitter was getting ejected right away, no questions asked, and the manager was gone too. So Dick just went down the line when we walked back into the dugout uh, after the first bench-clearing incident, which really not too much happened because we couldn't get the basketball. It wasn't until the second time-up where... Temper started to flare, and different guys started to get into it a little bit. And some pushing and subsequent punching went on. And then the third and fourth time, it was just craziness. But you know what? It was fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a great video.
2: We, We encourage everybody to look on YouTube for it. It's a great video. Kurt, let me ask you. You played both in the American League and National League, and you actually started your career in 1971, so your career started before the designated hitter, and you saw the change of that rule firsthand. Which style of play do you prefer?
0: Well, I'm kind of old school, and I, I prefer, uh, although I like the DH, I prefer the National League way of doing things because there's more moves that the, that, that the manager has to make and setting things up, and thinking two, maybe three innings in advance, they don't want to have to do that now because everything's pulled from a computer. Right. So they're going to get the DH in the National League as soon as possible.
2: Unfortunately, I I agree with
0: you. I'm talking about baseball. Right. Because because these guys that are managing teams now, they don't have the baseball knowledge uh, to do the things that a manager back 15, 20 years ago, could do in the National they League, they'd be not well-equipped to take care of that responsibility because they don't know the game.
1: Kurt, I'm going to go back to your pot-stirring days,
0: <laughs>
1: and just let's go back to one more little bit of a, a fight with uh, Tommy Lasorda. Now, I know you guys have worked things out, You're friends now, at least according to the internet, but you want to tell us a little bit about what happened between you and uh, Mr. Lasorda? That was
0: pretty funny, too. <laughs> um, yes. Jerry Royce is uh, pitching a great game against us Dodger Stadium one night. It was 1982. And he starts to tire. A couple of guys get on. They're winning 3-1. to one. It's the eighth inning. Dick sends me up to pitch it. And I hit, a, I hit a double and drove in two runs tied the game. Lasorda comes out to take Royce out. And he's screaming at him on the mound. But he's really not. He's screaming past Royce. He's looking right in the center field, almost right at me. I'm standing at second base talking to Bill Russell. And he's screaming at Royce, or presumably... hitter like Bavakwa, you had a pinch hit off you so that kind of fueled the whole thing on what ended up happening I mean I didn't holler back at him as a matter of fact I was kind of surprised I thought it was kind of funny but that game went into extra innings and Tom Neanfier is in the game for the Dodgers <laughs> uh, so <laughs> understand it, but they had taped it off the Jim Healy show. And I found out later that this guy that they sent into the, into Lasorda's office worked for the station that Jim Healy was the afternoon drive time guy on. And Jim Healy played that Lasorda tape every single day while he was on the air in LA. It was, it was comical. I mean it really was it, it, he made it a big deal, and I didn't have any problem going along with it uh it was uh I just thought it was kind of comical. I thought it was funny
2: <laughs> Tommy is so that, a big... uh
0: yeah, that's what happened Tommy didn't like me too much though
2: so. <laughs> <laughs> he's quite a character, talking about old ball players
0: you have any story-
2: you know Tony Gwynn was one of my favorite players he was just. A hitting machine, and you played with him uh, for a couple of years in San Diego. What kind of teammate was he? What? How was he to hang out out with?
0: Tony was quiet. He didn't hang out with with too many people. Um, I think Greg Booker was probably his best friend on the team. Tony spent a lot of time in his room playing video games and watching video, and he was really probably one of the first guys to do that. You know, we had video games back then. I I don't even remember the names of them.
2: Yeah, probably Atari but, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I know I used to go, especially in Yuma, I would be walking around the hotel and, and we would leave our doors open, especially in the daytime. Because if we see somebody walk by, we'd holler or say something or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I we used to see Tony in there playing video games or watching a uh, tape. Uh, On his TV all the time. And he, Tony would, he would actually call his wife, Alicia, on the road and ask her to re record or tell him what he did wrong his third at bat that night. Or, I want to make sure that the pitch was down and away and it wasn't just an illusion. Is that where it was? I mean, he'd go back over little things like this. And and I really believe that's what made him uh, the hitter that he was. The thing that uh, we look back on and we didn't even really realize it at the time was that he hardly ever struck out. And it was crazy. I mean, if you look at his record against, I think it's Greg Maddox uh, is one of the guys. he, He faced him like 140 or 160 times, and he never struck him out.
2: That's crazy. Wow.
0: That, that is crazy that is absolutely crazy
2: yeah
0: and there's a couple of other guys that that he never struck out against either but they you know there were like eight years in a row where I think he went where the most strikeouts he had was like 19 yeah or 20
2: yeah there, yeah there's a couple of good chunk of his career, that 19 to, to 28 and the the most he struck out one year was uh, in 1988 with that was 40. I mean, today's guys, they, they strike out 40 times in a month.
0: Oh, 40 times is, good, is a good month for some of these guys. Yeah. These yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: Crazy. Yes. Uh, speaking about baseball today, too much technology with replay and the call for automatic automated strike zones. What's your feelings on that?
0: Well, I, I have a problem with it being done 100% of the time because I think... The idea of having a human back behind the plate who has a different strike zone than the guy that was there the night before is is a good thing for the players because you have to make adjustments. We're, we're going to make these kids robots. That's, that's what's going to happen. Where the only pitch that they can hit is right down the middle of the plate. And... I mean, we talk about this Houston Astro thing where the sign stealing uh, deal, and and I know that it was a Dodger fan and a Yankee fan on social media had this video that was traveling around.
2: Right, right.
0: On on the Houston Astros, mm-hmm. you know, beating up their pitchers. Right. And the first thing that caught my mind was not that these guys were hitting home runs and extra base hits and all of that stuff. If anybody that's a baseball fan that knows a little bit about the game, go back and look at these videos that you're seeing on social media now Mm -hmm. and find one time where the pitch wasn't right down the middle of the plate. Right. And you know what? That's what happens to pitches that are down the middle of the plate.
2: Yeah, they're going to be hit. Now,
0: did did these guys cheat it seems like they did. And I'm certainly not advocating them doing that. But if the pitcher would have thrown a better pitch, he would have got him out anyway. Even if they didn't know what was coming. Right. Because a is always gonna get a hitter out more times than he's not. It just so happened that you throw you know, you throw a pitch down the middle of the plate. You know, these guys nowadays, they've got one thing in mind, and that's to launch it. That's all they care about.
1: With the with the cheating scandal, I just heard that Pete Rose uh, once again requested reinstatement into baseball. And I don't know, I, I kind of think it's apples to oranges. Maybe it's not. You are you have an opinion on Pete Rose? Everybody seems to. So do, And do you think he should be reinstated by baseball?
0: Well, I think that uh, uh, Faye Vincent took it upon his own accord to declare Pete ineligible after Bart Giamatti just suspended him. And when Faye Vincent took over as commissioner, he decided to give him the death sentence, which I don't know if anybody even thought that at the time, but shame on the Players Association if they didn't, because. I I know Pete was a player manager. When you fall into a managerial role at the major league level, you're no longer taken care of or represented by the Players Association. Right. Because you're, manage, you're
2: management now. Right. So when
0: Marty Amati declared Pete, you know, that he had been on baseball and that he suspended him and the report came in and all of that stuff. Of course, unfortunately, Mr. Giamatti died, passed away a month or two after that. And they, I think they've held that against Pete this whole time. Mark mm. Giamatti was a great
2: man. He was. He was definitely a... Uh, we uh, didn't get to... We
0: really didn't get to know him and know a lot about him because of his sudden demise. But he was a great guy. I think Faye Vincent went overboard... I think it's time that that Pete gets reinstated, and I think it's time that he belongs, uh, that he's elected to the Hall of Fame where he belongs.
2: Well, you know what? That's definitely uh, one way to look at it. Uh, I'm sure there's people out there who uh, think something else, but he was definitely a great player. I know when I watched him play, you know, he was uh, he, he had old talent. They said he didn't have old talent, but he. Outplayed everybody the way he he, he the way he played the,
1: the game. He played hard. He played hard like you did. Yeah, right. You you were. They didn't nickname you Dirty Kurt for nothing, right? You had. To, you, well, no, you, it's you,
0: funny. It's funny you say that because uh, you said they didn't nickname you Dirty Kurt. P. Rose nicknamed me Dirty. Oh, did really? He? <laughs> he did. Yes, he did. In the spring of uh, '69, my first spring with the Reds. He nicknamed me Dirty Kurt, and uh, to this day, if I was to call Pete right now, he'd answer the phone and say, hey, Dirty, how you doing?
1: Well, then we, or, should, we and, should give him a call. The <laughs> other
0: guy the other guy that still refers to me as Dirty is Bench.
1: Uh-huh. Really? Yep. Well, we should yep. call them both and get yeah. them on this show. <laughs> We're gonna, Kurt, you could be our new producer.
0: <laughs> there you go.
2: Kurt, well, you know what? We, we thank you so much for your time. Uh, yes. How uh, how are you enjoying retirement these days? What what are you doing with yourself?
0: I have a company that sells products to new and used car dealers. Products have kind of dwindled in the in the last few years because of the manufacturers getting involved, but we have a we have a great product right now that that new car dealers can use for lot management and inventory control
2: that sounds great you
1: know wish you all the best with that and again we, we thank you for your time and hold on Kurt was also on Fox's well he was I mean his voice was he was on Fox's King of the Hill oh right voiceover work huh? yeah right? that, that's <laughs> no, really cool. it actually
0: it wasn't a voiceover it was uh, one of the directors of the show was a big fan so he made me a part of a couple of episodes so yeah, I didn't do any voiceover for the show. I never got a check either. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I came up to I came up to bat against Homer Simpson's wife. Uh, not not Homer
1: Simpson. Right, I, I know who you mean. It's uh, uh, King of the Hill. I know. Pe- is it Peggy or?
0: Hey, Peggy. Uh, Peggy's right? pitching.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And she struck me out. Oh no, she didn't strike me out. I hit a ball. Uh, She got me out.
1: Right, you hit a long fly ball. I haven't
0: seen the episode. Yeah, I hit a long fly ball, and I don't know somebody jumped up against the fence and caught it or whatever. And they were talking about me taking steroids and another, uh, you know, another funny deal.
1: Well, we we uh, as Jeff was saying, greatly appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Kurt. You this was one of my favorite i have to tell you one of my favorite interviews that we've done i know that might hurt the feelings of countless other people but (laughs) i gotta tell you this was one of the most enjoyable just your stories are incredible and uh it seems to be former royals because mark Mark littell was also was incredibly entertaining so uh we really do appreciate your time and thank you again
0: hey it's it's my pleasure uh continue the good work on your show and uh We'll do it again
1: someday. That'd be great. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Kurt Bavakwa. Three thank yous sounds like I'm fawning all over him, and yes, I am. Thank you, Kurt. He was really, really good, and we appreciate it. Yes. Now are you gonna give him three thank yous. Uh, you already did. Give him, give him one thank you. One thank you, and you know, plus my three thank yous. That's a lot. <laughs> yes, Kurt, we have really appreciated You know, spring training starts in a couple of weeks Actually, a few days from, yeah.
2: from now Pitchers and catches. Pitchers and catches. Baseball season is right around the corner And
1: a trade went down
2: you Yes
1: know? Oh A big a, a big trade went down Yes, yes, of course a trade went down And of course when you said that It reminded me, when pitchers yeah. and catchers Of something that I heard today as well But go go on with the uh, trade a big trade, Jack, Jack Peterson was traded to the Angels that's huge. That's huge. huge.
2: <laughs> Actually, the big trade was Mookie Betts and David Price going
1: to the Dodgers. I heard a lot of pissed off Boston Red Sox fans yes. as I was uh, driving today. They got a
2: couple of prospects, I guess, from the Dodgers and Twins, because the right. Twins ended up with and Maeda. But you know, they had it, they want to slash some salary. Dodgers, you know, can afford it. Right. And the Dodgers look in prime position to uh,
1: get back to the World Series. Get back to the World Series and then, based on the way they are uh, right now, lose to the Yankees in the World Series.
2: Well, you know, first we actually have to play 162 games for each team before we decide who goes to the World Series. Oh, uh, wait. We're
1: not just skipping the regular season. Well, that's what
2: people want to do. Apparently. I mean, you know, people already anointed the Yankees and Dodgers as yes, being in the World Series. They've,
1: they've anointed I, the Yankees I, I, and the Dodgers, and the Yankees winning the World Series. There's
2: 28 other teams that that have to play. Yeah, to maybe uh, have
1: a, a say about that. I think the as far as if if it actually did happen today, the Yankees have better. Well, I don't want say they have better pitching because the Yankees. There was an announcement today. That I believe James Paxton, right Yankees pitcher, had to have back surgery today. Yes, he did. He's out three or four months. And of course, that's one of the things you always look at when when a player has surgery like just a few days before spring training, when he's been off for uh, months, and they say that this is it's going to be f- like three to four months before he can play. Why didn't he have this surgery? When the season ended.
2: Well, maybe it flared
1: up afterwards. Who, who knows? No. We don't know. He, apparently, there were doctors. They checked it out. And he was told by like three different doctors that it was something that would get better. But it didn't. And now, a couple of days, a few days before spring training, he's having this surgery. I guess there's two things. Uh, I think it's a disc. And uh, what is it? A disc and A cyst that he has to have taken care of. All of a sudden, the pitching-heavy Yankees, or, well, not pitching heavy, but they did sign Cole in the offseason, uh, are not, you know, they're going to be without, well, they're going to be without Jermon, because he'll be... For,
2: for for a couple months, right? Right,
1: because he's going to be out... Suspended. And, right, and of course, now without Paxton. Right, they were looking to trade J.A. They- Happ. I guess they'll keep him now. Yeah, that's the whole thing about you. Can never have too much pitching. You never have too much pitching, because if the Dodgers and the Yankees played, one of the things that the Yankees had the edge on, I think, was pitching. But now I, I'm not so sure of that. Well, they'll treat it as you know, midseason.
2: Paxton comes back. It's like a trade that they didn't have to make, and they get a player back. So it's right. they'll treat it like that. And, right, and, and they're built for the playoffs anyway. I mean, come on, nobody's going to nobody's going to challenge him for the. Division crown in the L.E. A- 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 East. Yeah, the Rays are a good team, but they- they're not in the Yankees' class. No, but the problem.
1: Well, yes, and not only that, but the teams are making it easier. The Red Sox by trading bets, Do you think that the Red Sox are kind of saying, you know, our manager is gone? They, they don't and- have a manager, right? We we right? How okay? How much do the Red Sox value this season? Where? They don't even have a manager. Okay, I understand they they unexpectedly lost their manager or, you know, fired their manager or whatever they did, right? But they haven't gotten a new manager. Spring training is a week away. Now they trade Mookie Betts, one of the best players in baseball.
2: And David Price, a very high-priced player. right? And I'm sure they're going to eat some of that salary. But, you know, the the, the Yankees are going to win the division, probably in a runaway. The Rays will do very well cuz they're a very good team but they just they just don't have the same talent as the Yankees and, and Boston's going to be far behind with uh, Toronto and and
1: Baltimore. So, you know, Yankees should win it easily. Right. So, as far as the trade goes, I think the Dodgers it's a, I think it's a very good trade for them. Probably they should they uh, hopefully they're going to side bats. I would think they're going to make a, a big effort to side bats. I don't think they traded him you know, to get him for just a year, they'll probably try to sign him. That's what I—I I think it's a good trade for the Dodgers. I don't think it's a good trade for the Red Sox unless it is because they're trying to get rid of salary. But it's just hard to believe that a team that has—you know—the Red Sox are considered one of the big money teams, and they're dumping salary.
2: Yeah, I mean that—that's—it's you know they have so much money. There's so much money in the game, yet they're, they're shedding salary. You know, uh, are they going to shred ticket prices now that they're getting rid of uh, trying to lower their payroll? Oh, of uh, course they are. Yeah, of course they are. Of sure. course.
1: That's, why, that's another reason they did it because they said, you know, we we have to charge these fans so much money. Look what a beer costs. But, you know, if we trade David Price and we trade Mookie Betts, we can lower the prices. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and you know what? Speaking of money. And I know that this is baseball and barbecue, and not Mets and barbecue. But we're going to talk money for just a second. Uh, your uncle, Uncle Stevie, yeah, he's no longer going to buy the Mets. What's going on?
2: <laughs> they pulled out the Wilpons. Did something sneaky? They like they always do. Oh. Uh, Are I, you I, trying that now? We can't get I'm, the Wilpons on. I'm disgusted with the Wilpons. I I don't want to discuss it. You know, Len. I, I think it's time to go. You're making me cry.
1: I, just, I know we should end right there, but between the last time... Well, oh, it hasn't aired yet. We we had Gary Mack on, which will be uh, episode 54, talking smack about Rob Manfred, and now you dissing the Wilpons. Those are two guests that we're not going to get on.
2: Well, as long as we get guests like Kurt Bovacqua,
1: I'm fine with that. Exactly. But let's just say that... I don't... Obviously, we don't know what happened in this whole Cohen, Mets, Wilpon thing, but if he was going to buy the Mets, and he was going to spend billions of dollars, right, and so he's buying this rich man toy, right? and then they're going to say, oh, you're buying it, but you can't really use it for five years. And you can't,
2: you know, even though you'll have controlling interest, we're going to run the team. Right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I mean, that's like, that's like if I bought my house, but... But the people that sold it to me said, "Well, you can move in it in five years." Right. <laughs> I, mean, what? I mean, you can use the backyard if you want. You know, that's okay. But but we're gonna live in the house. Sorry. All uh, right, Lane. Enough with this. Let's uh, let's wrap it up. Did I depress you? You did. Uh, sorry. I, okay. Now you you are you really are crying. Jeff is crying. <laughs> Call and make him feel better. Jeff, just before we go, tell them how to call the show and make you feel better.
2: 516-855-8214. Email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Tweet us, baseball at, at baseballandbbq. Instagram, at baseball where barbecue is all spelled out. Our website is www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. And check us out on our YouTube page. Until next time, I'm Len. And I'm Jeff. See you then.